Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. 225 years ago, the leaders of our nation came together to form a new government. They were very different from the leaders of their day, who were mostly egotistical narcissists of limited intellect, kings, queens, and other assorted monarchs who viewed themselves as God. In contrast, our founders understood that the natural law rights they called unalienable were divine in origin and defined individual sovereignty as a God-given not a government-fabricated right. The compact they created, our Constitution, obligated government to protect and secure those rights to each sovereign individual. The Declaration of Independence clearly states our founders' belief that God's law must be the basis for a just government and that it is the duty of free citizens to alter or abolish a government that departs departs from and ignores the constraints and requirements of God's moral code. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, notice their creator, with certain unalienable rights that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And of course, Jefferson wanted life, liberty, and property which is part of this natural law, right? That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. I would say the right and the obligation of people to alter and to abolish it. When a people themselves live by God's law and are guided in their actions by a firm understanding and acceptance of right and wrong, maintaining a similar level of morality in government is not an impossible task. Unfortunately, the innate imperfection of man is too often displayed by greed and a lust for power that infects those who we send to govern us. In those instances, only a moral citizenry, strengthened and supported by a vocal clergy, can act as a deterrent to the collapse of moral law and the collapse of our society. But what if the church is silent? 
What if the clergy doesn't draw a clear line in the sand to define in bold terms right versus wrong? Simply put, we have America today. There is no demarcation line between good and evil, only a gray zone in which individuals define their own moral limits, supplanting God's law with the law of man. When our citizens lose their moral compass and the church is not holding our collected feet to the fire, how can we expect the government to adhere to the limitations and obligations demanded by our Constitution? Our founders knew where they were going. They traveled on a straight and narrow path to that goal. So many of us today have no clue where we're headed and lack the moral guidance required to find our way. I'm reminded of the lyrics of a song written and sung by Balsam Range, a bluegrass group from Haywood County. If you don't know where you're going, any old road will take you there. For our nation to survive, we must individually and as a society rediscover the moral pathway. Here to discuss these issues with me today is Pastor Edis Dockery, the pastor of Boiling Springs Baptist Church in Murphy. Pastor Dockery? Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Well, thank you, Dr. Dan, and I appreciate the privilege and opportunity to be with you today. And uh, it's a blessing for me. It's a blessing for me and for our listeners as well, because we're going to be enlightened, I hope. I hope. Several weeks ago, you wrote an editorial in the newspaper entitled God's Word, A Higher Law. Let's talk about that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we find... uh, when you make a statement like that, Dr. Dan, that it really puts you in a position to do some research and think. Uh, we have all of the laws that we have today. Or let me rephrase that. As you've read in the beginning of our Constitution and the founding of our country and the things those men wrote, they recognized that higher law. And they knew the moral ramifications of that law. And they knew what needed to be done in order that that law might persist. When God's law begins to change and people begin to look, and you've read in your reports there of the, of the heart of man being as it is evil, uh, can go to the extremes, that they recognize just how, how evil a person could be. And so they knew and I'm reading some books now a friend gave me on the founding uh, the founding fathers. And, you know, I've thought for a long time that the much of what was done in this country to found it had to do with just religious freedom. But I like to think about it as freedom in general. And so the law of God is a higher law. Uh, And it just behooves me to understand when I hear people make a statement about things such as our climate. Now, I know there's a way to protect things. But when if we think that we can change the temperature, we're fooling ourselves. God has already set natural laws in place to take care of those things. And as far as my life goes and your life goes, there are certain laws that God has set that if we violate those laws, the consequences can be very severe. And so whatever law is made, if it doesn't have the input of God's law, and I take God's laws being the whole Bible, if we take uh, the chosen people of Israel, 
and we look at the laws that God gave to them through the hands and the writings of Moses, uh, that brings us all the way through that period of history. Uh, when we come to the time of Christ's ministry on this earth and his death, resurrection, ascension back to heaven, the church began. And so from Acts on, basically, we have the writings of men like Paul and Peter and others who, who again, established a certain moral law of things that I think must be followed. When, mm-hmm. we, when we break that, then we're, we're in trouble. I think that's really a, a good point, Pastor Edis, is that is we have thousands of years of history mm-hmm. in which God has set out a law and a code of conduct. Right. What, what was the, t- the Ten Commandments? The yep. absolutely basic laws of how we deal one to another. Mm-hmm. That's what the Ten Commandments are. Mm-hmm. They're, they're saying, look, you want to live together as as people, as as moral people, right. there are ten things that you need to do. Mm-hmm. It's really very simple because if you follow the Ten Commandments, you're going to be on the you're going to be on the straight and narrow, aren't you? Absolutely. Uh, and in addition to that, Doctor Dan, there was something like six hundred and thirteen laws that God gave to that people. It dealt with it. It dealt with how you deal with your brother. It dealt with hygiene. It. I mean the diets, everything. And so the same thing is uh, when we read the New Testament writings, we look back as a reference because this is the basis of what the law says. The law couldn't set a person free, though. But grace can. And so when Christ came, he came full of grace and truth. So what was given in that Old Testament economy that is brought into that New Testament economy. And if you read the writings in the Gospels where Jesus referred back to the law oftentimes, and he, matter of fact, he referred to the book of Deuteronomy, which was the second giving of the law more than did other, any other writing. And so the whole, the, whole, the whole concept of God's moral law has to do with those who have, been, who have received Christ, who have experienced the new birth, and it's about Christ living the life out through us, which is going to attract other people, or there are those who the devil's going to influence that's going to shy away from all of that and curse it even and rebel against it. Well, you know, Pastor Edis, what I find really fascinating is that really the Old Testament and the New Testament are really, really a single continuum. And, and what I have found most enlightening and, and important to me personally as right. well as in general is the fact that everything that happened with Jesus the, and his coming and his crucifixion was foretold hundreds of years prior to Absolutely. the actual. If you look at in Isaiah and Daniel, these are books which these men could not have known had not they been spoken to and instructed. Right. That this is what was going to happen. This was what it was in store for the righteous. Right. Okay. And so that's why I look at the Old Testament and the New Testament as that continuum. And, and it's important. I think that people understand that. 
that it is a continuum and that we have been instructed over and over and over and over again about right and wrong and what's and what's to come well in the prophetic view of Christ is coming you can date it all the way back to Genesis 3:15 in the seed of the woman message that he would come as you know as that prophecy was made to Adam and Eve during that period of time. And and the devil actually heard that as well. Somebody, I think, if I can remember it just right, Dr. Dan, somebody said it this way about the two testaments. Uh, the, The new, I believe, is the Old Testament explained, and the Old Testament is the New Testament contained. I believe that's how that goes. And so you cannot... You cannot understand these moral truths of the New Testament as you have some understanding about God's Old Testament economy and the laws of God in that period of time. If we take the natural laws, gravity, uh, and I understand the sun doesn't come up every morning, but for us to identify and communicate that thought, uh, I mean, everything's revolving around that, but we say it's coming up in the morning. It's been there all along. We're just we're in a different we're in a different cycle with it. But those natural laws are there. Um, and in my studies in science, uh, taking the natural laws, the creation itself, the second law, and you're probably familiar with thermodynamics, the second law that that the substance of things is wearing out with you. So, and there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because that little three-letter word sin that has such a large damage to all that is happening. And as, as uh, the scripture says, that the earth itself is groaning and traveling waiting for the redemption to wit. Because when Adam sinned, the curse fell on the creation as well. But God is God has not removed himself from his throne. And what he required of that Old Testament company of people from the beginning all the way to the time of Christ, he expects more out of us today in those areas. We've got we've got what it is as Christians to honor God in this world we're in, and we're we're losing it fast, and the and we're seeing more and more persecution. And I read an article the other day, and you may have seen this. Uh, the one of the things that Planned Parenthood is saying now, and some of those that's associated with Planned Parenthood, is that they would like to have a baby that's been born up to six months old to harvest the organs. I mean that's. That, that is, to me, just, I mean, it just blows my mind that people have come to think those kinds of thoughts. Well, you know, those kind of thoughts go back several thousand years to yes. ancient Greece. And in Sparta, as you probably know, a baby was not really considered at all alive until at least five or six weeks after birth. And during that period of time, the parents had the 
the right, if you want to call it a right, right. Uh, to uh, kill the baby, which they would do by putting it out on the rocks to, to be pick, picked mm-hmm. apart uh, if it was not what the parents wanted. Well, you know, we have that thought is not, did not die off permanently, uh, and it has come back from time to time. And this goes, of course, as a physician, I know the history of medicine, and that goes all the way back to that era uh, when it was thought that only a certain, only people of a certain age really deserved medical care. Uh, and of course, fortunately, Hippocrates changed that that feeling and and changed that philosophy philosophy, so that he said that human life, being divine, needs to be cared for from inception until natural death, and that Hippocratic oath, which we should be following as physicians, uh, really covers all that. But I'll tell you, um, Dr. Peter Singer who you may or may not know, wrote a book called Should the Baby Live? Yeah. In which he he proposes post-birth, what he calls post-birth abortion, which for him means that up to five weeks of age, parents have the right to determine whether their child should live or die. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what that book is all about. Uh, it's called Should the Baby Live? And Dr. Peter Singer, who unbelievably is a professor of medical ethics at Princeton University, okay. you know, which speaks volumes in and of itself. Right. But that is, that is his whole concept. And his partner in crime, as far as I'm concerned, as a moral individual uh, and Christian, is, that, is Ezekiel Emanuel, another physician, who wrote a book called The Complete Live System, in which he advocates that only people between the ages of about 15 and 40 get full medical care, and because up until the age of 15, certainly very young, you, you haven't invested, society hasn't invested a whole bunch in you, and then, of course, after 40 or 45, you're of no use to society, and you should just be palliative, given palliative care. So those two men... Dr. Peter Singer and Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel are the architects of Obamacare. And that is an immoral act. Forget what it will do to the individual in terms of of medical care. If you look at it strictly on the issue of morality, Mm -hmm. it is a basically immoral law that allows for infanticide and euthanasia. Well, and and very true, Dr. Daniel. And one of the things that disturbs me most about this kind of thing, especially with the issue of life, is that if we go back to Scripture, and again, this is a higher law, God's law, the fruit of the womb belongs to God. It's his. And if we trace back in the, in the history of the Jewish people, when they were out of the will of God in their lives, they even offered their own children as sacrifices to some of the gods in those lands that they were in. And I'm not putting the Jewish people down, the Hebrew nation down. We're no different. Look what we're doing to that that God calls his fruit, even today. And I've often wondered about this Hippocratic Oath. How did 
physicians today justify if they have signed on the line, so to speak, to uphold that oath? How do they justify what they're doing today? Do they turn a blind eye? Do they look at the dollar figure out there? Or what are they saying that they can actually morally justify what they're doing? I just have a problem trying to understand those kinds of things. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning.